Would you pray with me? Now is the acceptable time, O Lord. Today is the day of salvation, you say. Christ Jesus has come and he will pierce our own hearts. May it be so. May we be ready. Amen. As you've heard, our gospel story focuses on two elderly characters, Simeon and Anna. They made minor appearances in the infant narrative of Jesus, yet they performed major roles in his life. These two aged saints served as mouthpieces for God, announcing the identity of this six-week-old Messiah. Simeon and Anna recognized God in the flesh, in the arms of a Jewish teenage mother from the wrong side of the tracks in Galilee. Luke calls both Simeon and Anna prophets. When we think of a prophet, we might think of a clairvoyant who foretells the future, future events. But rather than future telling, Biblical prophets practice forthtelling. They practiced forthtelling. And forthtelling was about revealing hard truths in the present day, hard truths that would impact the future. I think it's easier to be a prophet who likes to tell about the future, preachers who invoke hellfire and brimstone or make declarations and give warnings about the end times. The distant future, if we keep it out there, it's not as threatening as the call to change today. Most of us don't mind punting into the future. We have good intentions to get our lives together, to get the world in order. But there's a gap between our best intentions and our actual actions. We're seven days into the new year, and I suspect a lot of our resolutions might already be shaky. We think, one day, one day I'll get fit. One day I'll really start filling that bank account and saving. One day I will clean out my closets. One day I'll unpack boxes in the basement still there from moving here in 2015. I don't know, maybe. One day, one day, one day out there in the future we will make necessary changes. I'm fascinated with the research of Harvard psychologist Dr. Daniel Gilbert about what he terms the future self. And Gilbert shows that A person has a difficult time connecting their present self with their future self. And because of that, it's difficult to have compassion for one's future self. So meaning, imagining, I have a difficult time imagining an 80-year-old clover, although the gap is narrowing, it really is. Thus, I have a difficult time having compassion for 
80-year-old clover, which would require me to make some changes, maybe be more intentional about diet, exercise, social connections, sleep, all of that. That I would need to be more intentional about caring for 80-year-old me. Right? There's this chasm between present self and future self. Well, it was this nagging call that prophets uh, seemed to uh, do, they, that they would, they would call people to change in the here and now, and that frequently got them in trouble. They'd get run out of town or worse, permanently silenced. In a prophet's presence, no one is comfortable. And it's probably because a prophet is never comfortable in the world themselves. Prophets view the world from a particular vantage point. He or she lives most commonly outside social norms, on the margins, on the edges of the world, and they often see life askew. When Tim and I were raising our two children who are now young adults, we hoped, like every parent hopes, that each of our kids would grow up to fit in to be socially acceptable, likable, smart, successful, good citizens. And yet, we also hoped that they'd not entirely fit in, that they'd question the messages that the world gave them, that is, messages that to be of value, one must possess beauty, brains, and bank accounts. As people of faith, We instead should hope that our children will have the wisdom to see the world and themselves as God sees them, that all creatures have beauty and intrinsic value no matter their appearance or their social status or their bank accounts. To see the world through the eyes of God will automatically place them outside the norm. We should teach our children to believe it's not only okay to fit uncomfortably in the world, we encourage them to fit uncomfortably in the world. Just attending church makes us a little odd, don't you think? For adults, it's not... um, it's not always easy to divulge to co-workers that you're involved in church. The world doesn't know what to do with us. All sorts of assumptions are made about what it is to be religious, let alone Christian. All sorts of assumptions. You know, inside I've heard many people say, and I say it myself, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. But on the margins of the world is where artists and musicians and poets, scientists, writers, and hopefully preachers reside. That modern prophets have eyes that watch the world from the edges. And from that vantage point, they dream of a world of beauty and justice and love, and with their creativity, they reveal that world to the rest of us. 
Frederick Buechner described prophets as men and women drunk with God. And Simeon and Anna were both drunk with God. They too lived and looked from the edges of the world. They hung around the temple. They prayed and they watched. And it was from those vantage points they were able to recognize God in a baby when he appeared. Prophets are tireless seers of truth. Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit he would not die before he saw the salvation of Israel, the Messiah, God's Christ come. His present self, Simeon's present self, was ready to see God. And in this scene, when, he, when Simeon sees Mary and Joseph doing what good Jewish parents do to fulfill the law, they're bringing their baby and presenting him to God. But Simeon takes the baby, lifts him from Mary's arms, puts him and cradles him in his time-worn arms and proclaims, proclaims, my eyes have seen the salvation of Israel and the light to the Gentiles. I can now die in peace. And I love that Mary and Joseph are amazed at his words. After all they've been through, Perhaps amidst the normalcy of pregnancy, childbirth, diapers, spit up, and colic, they forgot who this child was. Simeon pulls Mary aside and whispers hard words to her, hard words that no mother wants to hear. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon speaks poetically of the great price that both Mary and her son would pay to be the salvation of God. What can this young mother do but tuck away in her heart his perilous words? But before Mary and Joseph make it out of the temple, 84-year-old Anna comes upon them. And Anna has been widowed for most of her life, living as a ward of the religious leaders at the temple, fasting and worshiping day in and day out. She, too, has prepared herself to recognize God's coming. She lays her eyes upon the infant Jesus And begins to praise God and to speak about the child to all who are looking for the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna recognized God in that baby because they were paying attention. They had readied themselves. They had opened their hearts to the revelation of Christ. This month, we give thanks for another prophet. We honor the 60th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s visit to Denver. He was not an elderly prophet. He was merely 35 years old. And Dr. King stood right here in this pulpit and spoke boldly to the masses gathered on that cold January day. Dr. King was a fourth 
teller of truth. He spoke about the calamitous injustice of racism. Being a black man from Alabama, he looked at the world from the margins. And from the margins of a society that counted African Americans as different from and less than white citizens. And according to the most recent Greater Park Hill News, Dr. King said to Denver, and I quote, the problem of racial injustice is a national problem and not a sectional one. No section of our country can boast of clean hands in the area of brotherhood. And I think as the movement progresses in the South, it must progress in the North and vice versa because if you have the problem anywhere, you have some aspects of it everywhere. And injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. End quote. People forget that Dr. King was not only a great civil rights leader, he was first a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wore the same heavy mantle of the biblical prophets before him. Dr. King was deputized by God to be a forth teller of hard truths. Dr. King said, We're struggling in the final analysis to save the soul of our nation. Therefore, it is imperative for the nation to work passionately and unrelentingly now to get rid of this cancer of segregation and discrimination. Dr. King spoke forth God's dream. And it was not a dream about the sweet by and by. It was a dream of peace and justice on earth here amidst the people. The world responded to Dr. King the same way it did to countless prophets before him, with hostility, rejection, and ultimately by silencing him. But the thing about God's dream is it can never be silenced. God's love and justice flows through the Holy Spirit who continues to call and call and call young and old to have the courage not to sit comfortably in the world, to be in the world, but not of the world. So like Simeon and Anna and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., prophets are prepared for the sound and sight of God's coming. Ask yourself, your present self, from what edge do I reside that gives me a particular vantage point to recognize God? From what edge do you reside to watch and pay attention to the coming of God? Perch there. Be uncomfortable. And watch. And may you see God. Amen.